Welcome, glad you are joining us today. And before I get into our content uh, for today, uh, I wanna mention that last week we went through a lot of our summer planning with a short video. Uh, we'll put the link for that video below, but summer plans, gathering in person, uh, doing a, we have a lot of fun stuff that Katie was just telling you about coming up, but uh, we'll be winding down some of our online content and presence. Um, we'll continue some of it, especially with some of our teaching. Um, we're gonna be looking at um, some different psalms uh, through the summer. We're going to have some different teachers, different voices sharing through that. I'm really looking forward to that. And then into the fall, um, into a gospel with our teaching um, to really track and um, trace the life of Jesus. Um, and we're just going to hang there for a while. And so that'll be really fun to do. Um, today in the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. And the church calendar, I think, is something that's uh, been really helpful for me over the last couple of years to just really think about how we think about time and um, what we're teaching throughout the year. And I just want to show you a quick example of this. This is a really simple version, but you can see specifically from um, Advent to Pentecost, that top half on the outer part of the circle, um, a way of getting at themes throughout the year, reminding us of a different um, rhythm of life that is retelling this story of the gospel. And time is really actually a really key word here. Um, when we tell time according to this calendar, it's actually a very powerful tool in our following of Jesus. And so you can kind of see from December to May, it's very specific. It's telling the story of Jesus at Advent where we anticipate his coming at Christmas moving into Epiphany and Lent towards Easter and then um, to Pentecost and then uh, ordinary time, time seems uh, more free. And out of this, it's been a growing conviction of mine that there's a lot to learn from uh, different denominations, from different backgrounds and from different perspectives. Um, I've been hanging out with some uh, more mainline, I've been hanging out with some Presbyterians and uh, there's a more um, traditional or liturgical approach, maybe a, a more intellectual approach. And I think that there's much to learn from this perspective. Um, I come from a more non-denominational background, um, but the churches I've been a part of have had a heavy emphasis on um, scripture and the authority of scripture trumping reason and experience, which I think is really important in the church today. And um, we can learn from our Catholic brothers and sisters about um, spiritual formation, the disciplines as a way of shaping us uh, in a habitual way. Um, uh, the Catholicism has a heavy emphasis on compassion and liberation, which is uh, something we can learn from. And then um, the, the more charismatic uh, brothers and sisters, um, there is a, a fire or like this passion, this hunger um, to be with God, uh, to commune with God. The Holy Spirit is very present. And that's really what I want to talk about um, today, leaning on some of our more charismatic brothers and sisters and understanding um, the day of Pentecost. And I'll explain the whole thing if you're like, what is Pentecost? Like, don't, don't even worry about that. In fact, Pentecost simply means um, 50th day. And so it's 50 days past Easter, and for ancient Israel, it was a prominent feast uh, celebrating uh, the giving of the law. And then for Christians, it's a time when we remember um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, which Katie um, just read that passage, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on uh, the church. And um, one of the ways that I want to kind of capture the biblical picture of this is I want to use a lot of different scriptures um, today to speak to a more holistic understanding of the Holy Spirit. But before I do that, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Let me pray and then we'll get into that. 
And so, um, God, would you uh, broaden our minds? Would you use our intellects um, to grow in an understanding um, so that we might uh, know you, like in, a, in like in an intimate way, that we um, might know how to be with you and um, that you might be a God that is um, real and personal. And, and I know that we're all coming from different backgrounds, different perspectives, um, but right now, God, by your spirit, would you um, meet us? Even like watching this video, uh, would you show us that you're real, uh, that there's hope in your son Jesus, and um, that we uh, can know how to follow you in a tangible way that makes sense in our world? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, today's sermon really comes out of a personal conviction of some uh, scripture reading that I was doing uh, about six, seven months ago, uh, journaling through a passage of scripture. And there's actually Paul writing to the church at Galatia and um, in this region, and it just hit me. Um, and I kept thinking about this passage of scripture over and over again. It comes from Galatians 3.3. 3. And Paul just says, are you so foolish? He writes a very intense letter. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or I love how the New Living Translation says it. It says, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And I think what hit me um, so hard about this verse in particular was the ways in which I want to control or manage situations in my life for my own good. And this is, of course, particularly true of, you know, over the course of this last year um, with the pandemic, so much has fell out of control. Even as I'm thinking about, um, you know, starting reunion, which I, you know, I believe is God-given, it's so easy to drift uh, towards self-sufficiency, uh, to drift towards prayerlessness, and to work endlessly and neglect that God is actually at work. It's like we, we think we can graduate from the spirit and then just move on in our own control. Thanks God, I got it from here, right? Or having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by, your, by the flesh? Or I don't know about you, but um, you, you pray only when you know, things are desperate. I, I, I've, I've done that before where yeah, I'm, I'm not praying and then all of a sudden I'm desperate and so I'm praying again. And my guess would be that God loves that when we, we come to him in that way. But how do we not move on from what's begun by the Spirit but continue in the Spirit? And so today we're going to be talking about the role and the function of the Holy Spirit. I, I am no means, uh, by no means an expert uh, in the Holy Spirit, but the, the desire in me and I, and I hope for us as a community to be growing in our knowledge, but not just our knowledge, but to be growing in our intimacy and our experience of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I said I want to use a lot of different passages of Scripture because I want a, sort of a, a, a bigger, um, broader approach that we could come to the Scriptures um, and whatever background we may have, even if we have no background in, in the church or Christianity, but that we would take the posture of a learner and say, what if uh, this is true and what benefit could it have um, for my life or what is it that God wants to do through this? And so we're going to talk about the role of the Spirit in relationship with the Trinity so we can kind of have that big picture. And then we'll look at the the, the Spirit's power, the, the unity that this, the uh, Spirit brings, and then this idea that the the Holy Spirit is holy, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the end. So let's lay a foundation with the Trinity, because Christians are actually people that believe that God is a triune God, God in three persons, 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, I've, I've heard it before called the, the divine dance. God is in perfect relationship within this divine um, community, and God is sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need to create humanity. God is not bored, um, but he loves humanity, and so within the Trinity, God chooses to create. God the Father, um, which generally God the Father initiates. He initiates creation. Um, God the Son accomplishes the Father's will and then god the holy spirit sustains or continues the presence of god and so the person of the godhead that we probably think of the most when we think about god is god the father right genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created we probably uh, we take that to mean uh, god the father the source of all life god that is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. Um, when we pray, we probably think of God the Father. When we read the Old Testament and we see um, the ancient Israelite people um, being guided, we think of God the Father. And maybe in some ways what we should think is, um, by and large, uh, culture's fine with this idea of God. Maybe, maybe it's not as personal, maybe it's a bit distant, um, this idea of God, but um, God is generally um, an understood uh, concept. It may be a little bit benign, but nevertheless, God the Father is, is often what people think of when you say um, God. Now, that qualifier actually is quite important, God the Father. And I think that has a lot of implications for our modern society, um, you know, with the amount of trauma or baggage that people carry with the idea of a father. Uh, I was uh, thinking of this psalm, Psalm 68, 5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And so you might be even saying like, yeah, I don't really like that idea, right? God is a father. My earthly father wasn't like what I read about this idea of God uh, the father. But in the scriptures, we find that God is real and relational and life-giving. But that's this idea, you know, maybe we're wrestling with it, but God the father. And then we get God the son, right? Jesus. And, and we just should be honest here. Most people like Jesus, right? He's an amazing teacher, his ethics and examples and the way he walked around healing people. And then uh, Jesus in the New Testament claimed to be God. It's actually what got him killed. Uh, but the writer of Hebrews um, summarizes the person of Jesus by saying this in Hebrews 1 uh, verses 1 through 4. He says, Long ago at many times in many ways, God, we assume that to be God the Father, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So um, Jesus was, was the, the way in which the world was created somehow. It's a mystery, I think. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus, it says, is the exact imprint of his nature. What is it saying? It's saying Jesus is God. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus, because Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so 
um, God the Son sent from the Father to show the world what God is like, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death on the cross, and he would be this sinless, suffering servant who ends up taking away the sins of the world. He would resurrect, and then he would make his way back to the Father, and we wait for Jesus and the restoration of all things. And so that's, that's this message of the gospel, right? So God the Father, God the Son, um, God the Father, um, fairly understood idea. God the Son, um, in fact, is very tangible, right? God, God the Son is a, a historical figure, which most people don't debate the historicity of. And so um, you have in the Godhead these two, and you're like, yeah, I can grasp that. But then we move forward to God the Holy Spirit. And it isn't as tangible, right? It isn't as um, visual. It's more of a concept or an ideology. And then I, I have to, to think, well, the New Testament, though, the Bible as a whole, has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit as a distinct person of the Godhead. Even uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We're two verses into the Bible, and the Holy Spirit is present. Or think of this um, triune moment um, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, where um, Jesus is about to, uh, um, to leave his disciples, and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so the Trinity is present here. And then as you move into the life and teachings of Jesus, Jesus had a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. In, in the book of John, chapters 14 through 16, Jesus is talking about going away so that the Holy Spirit can come. Look what it says. It says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Almost like he's saying, like, I've been helping you, but someone else is going to come help you, like a distinct member of something else. I'm going to give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that, that word, another helper, the, um, the Greek word is paraklet parakletos, um, which translates um, an advocate or a, a counselor. Para meaning um, someone that comes alongside, right? A really good picture of this is um, like a paraeducator, an individual who does um, direct instruction and support for kids in the classroom who need help, right? They're not the, the, the primary teacher maybe, but there's someone that comes alongside you, walks alongside and says, I can help you here, an advocate, caring for those in need in a direct way. And the Holy Spirit is said to be like this in the scriptures. Jesus even goes on to say, Jesus is bold in John chapter 16, verse seven. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Like, I actually need to go so the Holy Spirit can be in you. Like, yes, God has been with you, right? God the Father is for you. Uh, God the Son is with you. But God the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And um, sorry that I don't have like some great metaphor for the Trinity today, you know, uh, water, ice, whatever it, whatever it is. I just, I, I think that 
what I want to embrace in some ways is the mysterious nature of the Godhead and to be uh, okay with that, to not have an answer. Like, I don't want to explain away the supernatural with the purely natural because the truth is, is we all have experiences in our life um, that we can't explain or that don't have understanding to us, moments of deep comfort, moments where um, we've been, um, we, we didn't know what to say, but words came to us, moments where we've experienced um, grace, and I don't want to, to cover that up. And that's actually what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts is uh, a book that recounts the birth of the church. Uh, Luke, Acts, it's really a combination. Um, Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel. And formerly it's called the um, Acts of the Apostles. But I was reading one scholar this week, and I just thought this was so brilliant. He says that it's actually Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit because the um, apostles that do the work that are capturing the birth of the church in the book of Acts, the apostles are actually filled with the Holy Spirit because of chapter 2, this chapter that we're looking at today. And so I want to look at the, the spirit of power, the spirit of unity, and then the Holy Spirit here. And so um, let's start in verse 1, Acts 2.1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And so the scene is set. The, these first followers of Jesus are, are beginning to gather. They're um, together. The, the church is about to begin. And what happens is like this mysterious moment, wind, power, fire, like the, where they're all sitting. And it gets a bit uh, bizarre, but like these divided tongues as a fire appear to them and rested on them. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I get a bit skeptical uh, when I, you know, when I read this. And it was so interesting. I was reading this passage this week, and I was like, "What is a way to think about, you know, mysterious things like this?" And uh, I was scrolling through some news, and there was this amazing moment, um, this past moment at the Italian Open uh, tennis tournament. Um, Venus women, uh, Venus Williams was um, struggling in her match because of heavy winds. And uh, please go look up this video. Um, she goes over to the ref and she said if the wind blows then I can't hit the ball I can't control God I can't control the wind I'm just saying that if the wind blows there is nothing I can do about it I can't control God talk to him and she points up into the sky to the ref and she actually ended up losing um, the match because of uh, time violations and there's like this power right the wind that's out of her control and i thought what a great way to think about what's taking place here which may seem sort of odd to us but a moment where there's this raw power mighty rushing wind fire just these representations of power in the book of romans uh, romans chapter 8 verse 11 it says if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's saying the same spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead has the ability to take up residence in our lives and in our hearts. 
And this is what um, the Holy Spirit uh, does throughout the scriptures is it fills us. But the, the fascinating thing is um, it's not in a self-centered way. The Holy Spirit fills us and continually points us uh, to Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, the Spirit does not glorify himself. He glorifies the Son. This is to me one of the most amazing and remarkable things about the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seems to hide himself and to conceal himself. He is always, as it were, putting the focus on the Son. And that is why I believe and believe profoundly that the best test of all as to whether we have received the Spirit is to ask ourselves, what do we think of and what do we know about the Son? Is the Son real to us? This is the work of the Spirit. He is glorified indirectly. He's always pointing to the Son. And we could get to so many of the roles and functionalities of the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't think we have time for all of that today. Just thinking about the comforter, the counselor, um, reminding us of the truth, drawing us um, to Jesus, giving us guidance. And maybe you've had a, a, a moment where you, you can't explain it. You say, I, 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 don't, I don't know what else to say other than I, I believe that it was the Holy Spirit. I had a moment like that in, in 2012. I went to Africa to um, be a part of a learning community. We were actually doing um, learning about community development and empowerment in local communities. And we were in Nairobi and we had a, a training session on prayer with a pastor. And I'll never forget um, the room we were sitting in, the, the way he was preaching and um, the passage of scripture he used. Uh, he was praying out of Matthew chapter seven, um, where Jesus uh, says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks it will be open. And um, after that, I was like this moment of power, like we're, we're talking about here. Um, and at the end, he, he, just, um, he just said, uh, sometimes I get words that I believe are from God and I wanna share them. And of course, again, like I'm, I'm skeptical uh, uh, of that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really want like a word. And um, he said, I, have, I think I have three words. And he says, I, this may be from me if it, it, um, it, or it may be from God. Like it may be from the Holy Spirit. So like you have to test it, if that's true, but I'm just gonna to say what I have to say. And I was like, all right. And of course, what did he do? The first thing he did was walk over to me. I was like, I don't want a word from you, you know? Um, but he said, he said to me, young man, he said, I believe that God has great things for you in your future, but before you can live into that future, you need to go backwards and to deal with some things from your past. And he said, like Gideon, and, and I went and looked up this verse this week because I, I, I didn't remember what it was. It says, Gideon was called um, to be the, he was the weakest in Manasseh where he was from and least in his father's house. And I'm like, well, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> he says, I think you need to go back and to deal with some things in your past like Gideon before you can go do great things. And for me, instantly, I, I knew in my being exactly what he was talking about. And um, my skepticism was um, washed away by the tears flowing down my face. And in that moment, I felt this um, physical warmth, like this moment of like understanding grace and wholeness. And um, looking back, I, I, I think I can say with, with certainty that I believe that that was the Holy Spirit at work in my life, and um, that's that um, power that's being spoken of in the passage. But Jesus continues, or uh, Acts continues, um, uh, verse five. In other words, dwelling in, Jer in Jerusalem, Jews 
devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya beyond the Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so what you have here is this like great multicultural, multi-ethnic gathering where we're seeing the spirit present and then everyone is able to understand each other. And this was actually uh, foretold in the Old Testament in Joel chapter two. And it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Uh, even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And this is something that has um, made, always made um, the Christian faith so compelling to me that Christianity is not a location uh, bound. It's not um, exclusive to a particular race, class, or uh, gender. We don't need to go to a holy site to, to be a, a part of this, but the, the worldwide embrace here of the Holy Spirit is breaking barriers of race, class, and gender. The Holy Spirit, uh, it could easily be said, is the spirit of unity who's gathering people from different languages and ethnic backgrounds and abilities um, into one church, but the, the key here is that it's multi-ethnic, right? It's unity, but it's also diversity. And, and what's so key in understanding um, this, uh, what's happening or what's taking place at Pentecost is that um, the event didn't um, involve a miraculous hearing while, where everyone was made to hear one language, but it was actually a miracle of speaking where the apostles are um, preaching in many languages to the gathered crowd. It's not about finding a common language, but allowing for a plethora of diversity of language and understanding. And I think this is so key. Uh, Willie James Jennings, a great commentary in the book of Acts, says this, there comes a crucial moment in the learning of any language if one wishes to reach fluency, that enunciation requirements and repetition must give way to sheer wanting. Some people learn a language out of gut-wrenching determination born of necessity. Most, however, who enter a lifetime of fluency do so because at some point in time, they learn to love it. They fall in love with the sounds. The language sound beautiful to them and the love is complete. They fall in love with its original signifiers. They come to love the people, the food, the faces, the plans, the practices, the songs, the poetry, the happiness, the sadness, the ambiguity, the truth. And they love the place. That is the circled earth those people call their land, their landscapes and their home. Speak a language, speak a people. And then he says this, God speaks people fluently. And God, with all the urgency that is with the Holy Spirit, wants the disciples of his only begotten son to speak uh, people fluently too. And I think this is so key. The church is a people who speak the language of God, which is grace. There can be great empathy and understanding, even if there's lang literal language barriers, because the church um, can be, should be, especially now more than ever, needs to be a diverse and multi-ethnic and culturally affirming.
body. And so there's a spirit of power, a spirit of unity. And lastly, I'll be quick here. Um, the spirit of holiness. Uh, Acts 2, 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I know this might uh, sound a bit silly, but the Spirit of God in the Scriptures is called the Holy Spirit. Uh, Simon Ponsby um, writes a, a handful of books on the Holy Spirit and says, Over 90, 90 times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called holy. After conversion, our holiness is his major role. And so there's so many different things we could say here about functionality, um, continued growth, uh, the ways in which the Spirit wants us um, to become more like Jesus. But Paul says uh, the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians chapter 5. And I think this is a really, um, a really good way to think about this idea of holiness or of the Bible's word for this is sanctification, that we're um, growing in our likeness of Jesus. And Paul just says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And I, I think a, a way of um, capturing um, the Holy Spirit's work in our life is to evaluate these things. Are we growing in joy? Are we growing in peace? Are we growing in kindness, goodness, faithfulness? And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to. It's going to lead us um, to a more holy life where we look like Jesus. And so maybe uh, one of your questions is, well, how do I get this? Like, what, how, do I how do I make the turn in this idea? And um, Peter goes on in Acts chapter 2. He begins preaching, and um, he just says to them, and I, I thought this was a really great way of capturing. The Holy Spirit is, is come. He, he's, he begins preaching, and Peter says to the crowds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's just pretty simple, right? Repent and be baptized. And repent is like a really, um, is a word filled with baggage culturally. Um, but that word repent, it, it actually just means to take a U-turn. To say, I, I was living my life in this direction and I'm actually ready to go in a new direction. Right? And I think a lot of us, um, we've come to points in our life where we say, you know what, I was heading in the wrong direction. I was ready um, to turn around, right? That, that's a, a posturing. It doesn't mean to feel sorry or to feel guilty, but actually um, repentance is in action. I, I, was run, I, was, I was running my life and I'm, I'm ready to let go of that. I'm ready to turn and go a new direction. And then he says, be baptized. Um, the sacrament of baptism. And baptism is this act. It's an, it's an outward expression of what is taking place in, in someone's heart. It, and that person is saying, um, I, I, I'm, I'm my life, my identity, and my priorities are now centered on the person and the work of Jesus. And I want to identify with his life, death, and resurrection. And so um, baptism is an act of obedience um, towards Jesus. And so um, if you're you know, interested in these things, you want to talk about these things, I'd love to um, talk to you about them. You can fill out um, our Connect card. Um, but f um, for the rest of us, I, I just want to give us this prayer for this week and to just pray it every morning this week, to set a reminder on your phone, to put a sticky note on your door or your bathroom mirror, whatever it may be, but just a really tangible and very simple prayer that you can pray in the morning um, where the Trinity is present. Here it is. It just goes like this. God, fill me today with your Holy Spirit that I might look, act, and be like your son, Jesus. Amen. And, and it's this way of inviting God in every morning to say, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I, I need you, God. I can't do um, today alone, and you can carry on 
um, with your day. So let me pray that for us and then a couple of things before I wrap up. And so God, um, fill us today with your Holy Spirit that we might look, act, and be like your son, Jesus. And I pray right now that um, as we talk about this idea of Pentecost where your spirit is poured out, that um, you would be stirring us um, in knowledge, but that the knowledge would actually just grow into a a deep, heartfelt intimacy with you where um, we desire to know you, like that the things of the world are just not working for us, where uh, it it just feels empty, but um, we breathe you in and we say, um, God, we need you, and so fill us anew or fill us for the first time um, because um, we're desperate for you, God. And so I just pray that 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 would be for us um, today that by your spirit, um, we uh, would change and that we would be different. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, being here. There's a a bunch that Katie talked about. All the uh, information for that is below. There's also a link below to uh, give generously. If you call Reunion your home and you want to give to our work um, in and what God is doing in the city through our community, you can do that below, reunionnyc.com backslash give. Um, I'll share with you our giving liturgy and then I'll send you with uh, a blessing. And so it'll be on the screen here. Father, you are an abundant giver. There's nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you. Help me to honor you with my resources. Free me from the deceit of riches. Lead me on the path of generosity. All that I have is yours. All that I have is you. Use our gifts for works of love and mercy and to the increase of your glory. Amen. And I I should have said this before, um, if you are a guest, you're checking this out for the first time, please feel no obligation um, uh, to give. We give back generously because we believe that God has been so generous um, to us. And then lastly, let me send you um, with a blessing and receive this. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he give you a deep comfort um, and guidance by his spirit. May the Holy Spirit remind you uh, to pray and to seek the fruit of the Spirit, and may you be sent out to live changed lives for the good of our city. Amen.